Welcome to today's conversation. We are so thrilled to be a part of Open to Hope's uh, Grief Conference. I'm Erin Austin, the Assistant Director at Tamarack Grief Resource Center, and it's my tremendous honor to get to introduce uh, Dr. Tina Barrett, today's speaker. Tina is a licensed professional counselor, executive director, and co-founder of Tamarack Grief Resource Center, and um, a wonderful human and mother and dog lover. We're here in Montana, and without further ado, Tina, I will pass it over to you. Oh, Erin, thank you. It's so nice for people to gather and lean in for support in the ways we can during these uncertain times. And Another shout out and thank you to Open to Hope for creating yet another way for people to find strength and gain hope from one another. We at Tamarack Grief Resource Center have really spent the last, well, decades actually looking at how can we strengthen one another? How can we strengthen ourselves during the toughest of times? And recently we've received over the last couple of years, a lot of calls and requests for how does this impact the workplace? How do we create the healthiest workplaces for those working with grief and loss and for workplaces that are touched by grief and loss and for ourselves as we return to work amidst grief? So today we're going to look at recharge and taking compassion resiliency to the next level. As we talk today, uh, this will be ideally applicable for a lot of different groups. This is a conversation that we have with our team, with hospice groups, funeral homes, county employees, universities, care professionals, and uh, volunteers, as well as uh, grieving families throughout the region. So this is a workshop that generally we've done in three to six hour formats or even 24 hour retreat formats. We just wanna offer a few words and language and ideas for how you can gain some skills and tools for taking care of yourself, your relationships and systems, organizations, workplaces during the toughest of times. As we look through this, we'll be talking about different grief styles, indeed these three lenses for wellness, and then some practical tools. And today, we're gathered with particular interest of how do we take care of ourselves and create wellness related to COVID-19. So some constructs that we'll weave through today are compassion fatigue and vicarious trauma, burnout, and indeed compassion resiliency. But I wanna start with the words from Dr. Clarissa Pinkolev Estes, Ours is not the task of fixing the entire world at once, but of stretching out to mend the part of the world that's within our reach. So may we think about that which is within our reach at this point in time and add hope and beauty to that. Just to set a boundary around our time today, I will share that we'll be um, talking for about 30 to 45 minutes. Uh, and again, if you have questions and comments beyond that, Erin's contact information will appear at the end of these slides, and you can reach out to us at Tamarack and we'll continue the conversation. Burnout can present a lot of different ways. What we know is when someone's feeling burned out, it's literally referring to the light going out, the flicker ending. There's edginess or blame. There can be detachment or a lack of taking care of ourselves. Some apathy, just feeling physically and emotionally, mentally fatigued or having difficulty concentrating, being preoccupied. What we're looking at today is really acknowledging you can love what you're immersed in. 
You can love your job or your work and still become burned out. COVID-19 adds a whole nother lens to this. We can, we add this fear for our own personal health and the health of those around us. There are routines change our coping strategies that we've grown to rely upon, our compensatory strategies that can help us make it through each day may not be accessible anymore. Many people are, have experienced the loss of a job or are now working remotely or risking exposure on a daily basis. Indeed, the healthcare providers and those essential workers and those continuing to show up every day to take care of the rest of us um, in their workplaces, in our workplaces, often report symptoms of depression, anxiety, insomnia, and distress as they continue keeping on, keeping on through these times. And we're noticing a moral fatigue from those really making toughest decisions of who we can take care of and how we prioritize care and how we take care during these very unusual times. We're also hearing an increase of a real phenomena being affectionately termed as Zoom fatigue or Zoom gloom. That generally in interpersonal relationships, we're striving to understand what's being communicated in a holistic platform. We're watching for the nonverbal cues and taking in the narrative. Video really impairs our ability to have a holistic understanding of what's happening, and we're limited to just a box on a screen and listening to these words, and our nonverbals are limited to what we see in the box before us. It requires a real sustained attention to those words, and the gallery view really challenges us to be decoding from all these people at once in this very limited format. What people seem to think is this will get easier for us over time, and we acknowledge that right now it's exhausting people. So on top of grief, on top of already everyday stressors on top of COVID, we're adding a layer of Zoom fatigue and Zoom gloom. Um, we do want to acknowledge that some people who experience some different neurological difficulties or, or in, in person exchanges can actually experience less stress through the Zoom conversation. So just want to acknowledge differences that happen for all of us, that there's no one box that's going to speak to everyone's experience during this time. As we look at fostering compassion resiliency, we're really looking at how do we promote the well-being of those who work in high stress or high trauma environments. As we've teased through this language and presented this dozens and dozens of times over the last handful of years, we also realize that the systems or the environments, the workplaces that this was originally designed for, can also be any system. It might be a school, it might be a relationship or family or couple relationship, or indeed the workplace that you're reporting to part-time, full-time, or possibly remotely at this point. The window of tolerance is going to be the foundation for our conversation. It refers to this place in our level of functioning that we just feel like things are okay. We're motivated to get going, but we're not overly stressed or underly motivated. We just are experiencing kind of uh, our centeredness, our grounded place from which we work, interact, make decisions, our feelings are in a balanced sort of place. 
when people are stressed for whatever reason or become triggered or pushed outside of their window of tolerance, sometimes they're pushed into dysregulation of hyperarousal or sometimes hypoarousal. What does this mean? Well, hyperarousal, we see in the image on this screen is like a volcano going off. So pushed outside that window of tolerance, dysregulated, pushed to a place of exploding. So people get moved to edginess, talking faster, fidgety, uh, difficulty concentrating, maybe moving really quickly until they explode, maybe lashing out, throwing things, yelling, screaming. The opposite of this or another way of responding to these triggers and the intolerance or being pushed outside of our window of tolerance when we become ungrounded or dysregulated can be hypoarousal. And that really, in the picture on the screen, it's an iceberg of just kind of going underground, just distancing, isolating, curling up in a ball, maybe under a blanket, to the point of really having troubles moving through the day. So what we're watching for is how do we expand our window of tolerance and the window of tolerance of those around us. So indeed, it's looking for groundedness. How do we recenter and or when we get dysregulated or uncentered, how do we come back to this place of centeredness? To further come up with a shared language as we move into this conversation, we want to illuminate the colors of grief that Darcy Sims put a lot of work into. There were four colors that she described, and the first being red or the feeler. And these, as we're grieving, there's different ways we all move through grief. Um, these are four styles. None of us are clearly locked into any one of the styles, but we often have a bit of a predisposition or a tendency to experience grief or experience our strength in grief in one of these ways. So the red or the feelings griever is very emotionally expressive and social. They gain strength from gathering other people, gathering with other people and hugging and talking and sharing stories and going through the photos, very comfortable with emotions, very comfortable with community and gaining strength with community through the grief. The green or the thinker griever is very thoughtful, maybe research oriented going online, watching all the Open to Hope videos and podcasts and listening to the different shows to learn what has worked for other people. There's probably a stack of books by the thinker's bed. It doesn't mean that they don't feel deeply, but they're really seeking ideas and tools throughout their grief. The purple griever or the dreamer in Darcy Sims's words, they're very symbolic and appreciate the metaphor, the symbols, the rituals, perhaps the decision to create a shrine or leave a, oh, a, create something, cook something in honor of this person. How did they find strength and how will we find strength in participating in these activities that as we move forward, where the doer or the blue griever, they get things done. Many times people think the blue griever isn't feeling deeply, it's not bad. It's just that that outward display of grief isn't there. They'll invite a very small circle into their feelings experience and, and gain strength from, I can do this, from a sense of competence, from going through the motions, from getting things done. So as we think through this, the feelings griever, the thinker, the dreamer, the doer, 
How does this influence our strategies for enhancing wellness throughout our journeys with grief and throughout our workplaces or systems that we interact with and overlap with? I appreciate Brian Andreas's art. Anyone can slay a dragon, she told me, but try waking up every morning and loving the world all over again. That's what takes a real hero. How do we continue to maintain this passion, this drive, this delight? Amidst grief, amidst COVID, amidst rapidly changing times and challenges, amidst civil unrest, amidst racial injustice, amidst fatigue and burnout. Let's find out. First of all, intrapersonally, how do we just take care of ourselves on a most basic level? Stay in a relaxed body. We're going back to that window of tolerance. What is it that helps you feel most balanced or grounded during the toughest of times? Simply breathing, progressive muscle relaxation, taking a walk or exercising, uh, perhaps intentionally connecting with others who care deeply. You know who your cheerleaders are and who they aren't. It can take a real effort to intentionally connect with those people who you feel centered, strong, capable, and caring that you're able to strengthen them as well. And indeed, seeking therapy. I'm often struck by we're never that comment that some people will say we're never given something we can't handle. I'm not sure I agree with that. I do believe that when we are given things we can't handle, there's a ton of caring, capable, compassionate, skilled people willing to reach out and embrace us. Sometimes it will be those that friendship group that will intentionally shore us up and cheer for us. And sometimes it's seeking therapy and an outside voice and outside tools and outside resources that can shore us up and help us find our groundedness and move through the trickiest of times. And blatantly scheduling self-care. We're going to talk about this a little more because I feel like so often we conflate or confuse or mix up self-care versus self-indulgence. No judgment about self-indulgence. That's just a different topic is why we bring it up. Self-indulgence is immediate gratification. Like I earned this, I deserve this. I'm going to feel immediately like spoiled or like I've taken care of myself. Often there's some kind of immediate gratification and later it might not feel so good. Self-indulgence, eating the whole box of chocolates, drinking a bottle of wine, uh, promiscuous sex, driving fast, whatever it might be that might immediately give some sort of positive feeling or trigger that pleasure center in our brain and later might feel a little sick or uncomfortable or lethargic. That's just a different topic for a different day. What we're talking about right now is self-care. The unfortunate part of self-care is uh, it takes a little effort. It's often a little hard, even though we'll feel better later. So making that trip to the store to get some food to make a healthy meal and make it taste good and feel good in our bodies, it's not as fun. It takes a little work, but later we feel better. Filling up that bathtub so that we could really uh, soak into it for a while and relieve our mind of all the distractions around us. Making ourselves get out of bed and take a few steps down the driveway, around the neighborhood, maybe to the park and back. doesn't have to be dramatic. And maybe it does. Maybe really turning on that exercise video and doing yoga or doing some movement for a window of time to feel better. But what are those physical, emotional, intellectual, 
ways of taking care of ourselves, taking time to journal, taking time to read a book, taking time to read some poetry or write some poetry or dance or move. May we continually strive to be and to work in a regulated body and make time to reset. This isn't to imply that we're always staying in a constant state of centeredness, but rather when we get pushed outside our window of tolerance, we can come back. So again, Brian Andreas, one of those days when you listen long enough to the sound of the seabirds and the water and the wind, and you give up words for a while because none of them are big enough. So what are those things that recenter you? May you take a moment and run those through your mind. And then may you make an intentional plan to climb into those today. You may also want to go online and search self-care wheels that can give an idea and a guide as you set up your own intentionality. Interpersonal wellness. How do we engage with others? This is our culture of relationships, whether it's our collegial relationships, our social relationships, our familial relationships, at home, at work, out in the world. What is that culture of how we are in us in a relationship? And a tip on this one is may we extend the most generous interpretation of whatever the other person has done or said how they've acted, how it's felt in their presence or the lack of their presence. May we extend the most generous interpretation. They said that and that was really hurtful. Maybe they didn't know what to say. Maybe they're uncomfortable. Maybe they're just trying to make me feel better and they're uncomfortable with my pain. How can we help believe that someone at the core of their being has positive intention and then help strengthen the relationship through how we're viewing that and how we respond, offering them the most generous interpretation. Also, may we decrease or prevent conflict by expecting different points of view. It, one of our mentors, Dr. John Summers Flanagan, would often say, may we get curious, not furious. When somebody does something that's hurtful or disappointing or doesn't meet our expectations, may we First, extend the most generous interpretation. And then may we get curious, like help me understand. We were planning to meet at six o'clock, it's 7.20, and I just get the text from you that you're canceling, or I was expecting this project, you're part of the project on my desk by 8 a.m. and it's due by noon and here we are, 10 o'clock and I don't have it yet. Help me understand what stopped that and where we're gonna go from here. As we give feedback to one another in our families, in our relationships, or in our workplaces, how can we be caring and yet direct? How can we do it in a timely fashion? How can we preserve the dignity that we're not making a sweeping statement of like, well, you're an awful person because this happened. But when this happens, this is how I feel. And this is how it plays out on me trying not to dwell on mistakes or use sarcasm or just drop the feedback and run the other way. And when we're receiving that, how can we take a position of learner, paraphrasing what we've heard and how we might take action from here? Hearing completely before trying to respond, I think is one of the trickiest things and one of the things that can work really well in giving and receiving feedback. Shifting now to systems and at the workplace or in the relationship of, or whatever system we're trying to hold together, um, what are some strategies for how we create wellness? First of all, maybe be clear about our expectations. It's really tricky for someone to meet our expectations or for us to meet expectations together if we haven't outlined what those are. 
can we also seek to be aware of our, our values, whether they're explicit or implicit values? What is it that we hold dear? If we're saying, I work all the time and never sleep, and we keep saying that, keep saying that, how are we maybe implying that that's what we expect? Uh, if that's not, if we're saying, actually, I really want a healthy workplace, and I'm working all the time and, and seeming not to have time to take care of myself, how can we make a plan for this to be different? And if we're a leader in the workplace, knowing that that's going to influence the workplace overall, and or if we're an employee, that perhaps we're presenting ourselves as a bit of a martyr. And is that how we want to be presented? And so just really exploring together that as a, as a workplace, are we creating unhealthy values that we're leading with? This can come through in gossip or attitudes or just health and wellness overall. Are we creating time and opportunities for people to be well or not really? Whatever the system is, it seems like scheduled time to connect, reflect, learn, and recharge. So if this is a workplace, how are we making sure to have our ongoing staff meetings or staff retreats? If this is a friendship relationship, how are we deliberately saying, let's get on Zoom once a month, once a quarter, once a week, um, or perhaps we're doing daily texts and chats to connect and reflect. If it's a marriage or a relationship, a partnership of some sort, how are we deliberately creating time to come together and say, what are we doing well? What could we do better? Thank you for this. This is what I'd like to learn together. Let's come up with shared language around how we move forward and recharging. What's going to give us strength and re-inspire us together? How do you find passion? Because that changes over time. And what inspires us in a partnership or a friendship or a workplace and what draws us to that in the beginning changes over months and years and decades that we continue in that system. So may we create a sense of team. I think when one of the things that can seem hardest in our grief or in our life or in our workplace is when we seem feel completely on our own. And though no one else can completely do what it is we need to do and bring to the workplace or completely understand our experience with grief, we can feel a sense of team. I think when we feel like we're the only one that can do something or we're all alone in something, that can be far more overwhelming than to say, I'm the only one in this role at work, but there's a whole bunch of other people doing their role and together we're accomplishing ridiculously amazing things. And or in my grief, no one else can completely understand my experience right here. But there's a lot of people who've had their experiences. And together we're stronger. And together we don't have to take away each other's experience to collectively say, as a community of grievers, of lovers, of workers, of people committed to doing our darndest in our communities, we're stronger and more positive as we move in and through these times together. And that we're willing to do it together. So that message of, I won't fully understand your experience, but I'm willing to walk alongside you and hopefully add bits of strength and comfort and hope along the way. As we near an end of our conversation today, may we create a culture of gratitude. I appreciate these words, scattering little bits of encouragement everywhere she goes and then racing back later to see if, any, if there's any left because after the day she's had, even a little bit 
helps. How much strength we get when we feel truly appreciated. And how much it impacts our sense of well-being to just notice things we're grateful for around us. So may you look around you now and find bits of beauty or something that you appreciate and may you express it. I find that for some of us, it gives us far more strength to hear specifics, not just to like, hey, thanks for being you, but hey, thanks for taking the minute to call. That really, uh, I was getting lost in my thoughts and that was helpful to have you check in or um, having your work on that project just made it so much easier for me and I just felt really taken care of. Thanks for that. Whatever the specific gratitude can be, can be really helpful. Now, as we move in and through all of these together, we're aware that those different grief styles influence how we might move through these different team cultures, uh, that some people will gain great strength from coming together and others may gain more strength from sifting through things on their own. But this sense of gratitude and appreciation and beauty can give each of us strength in our own way. So now as I wrap today, I want to extend my thanks to you. May you walk from here with some ideas for how you can take care of yourself, your relationships, and some of those systems or organizations that you're a part of. And as you move from here, if you wish for this conversation to continue, I also want to invite you to reach out to us at Tamarack Grief Resource Center for other presentation topics or grief resources, though we're based in Montana. We're part of networks in the National Alliance for Grieving Children that serve uh, care professionals and people supporting grieving kids and families throughout the world. So we'd be honored to add bits of strength and hope and comfort to your journey. Follow us on Facebook or look for us on Instagram or reach out to Erin Austin, our assistant director at erina at tamaracgrc.org. Thank you for your time today. The loss of a loved one can leave you feeling depressed, angry, alone, lost. But you don't have to face this journey on your own. Open to Hope is a free community for anyone who has experienced loss. Find support. Find help. Find hope. Give grief a voice at Open to Hope. For more information, Find us at opentohope.com. You don't need enough hope to get through the day. You don't need enough hope to get through a year. You just need enough hope to get through the next moment. Even though we had this thing happen to us, it also happened for us. We hold the memories of those that we cared for, that were a part in the making of our characters. And when they pass, those memories will come back when you need them. They become voices of intuition and of guidance. We want to inspire others and say, we know what it's like to be where you are, but you're not always going to be there. Just take our hand, believe us. We'll take the journey with you. We always say, if you've lost hope, please lean on ours.